You're listening to the New Stack Makers, a podcast made for people who develop, deploy, and manage at scale software. For more conversations and articles, go to thenewstack.io. All right, now on with the show. Imperfa helps organizations protect critical applications, APIs, and data anywhere at scale and with the highest ROI. With an integrated approach combining edge, application security, and data security, Imperva protects companies through all stages of their digital journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Stack Makers. I'm your host, Heather Joslin, Features Editor at TNS, and today we're going to talk about an insidious threat to organizations, business logic attacks, and what developers need to know about them. How do you protect your company against such attacks? Our guest today will help us unravel this topic, Peter Klemek, Director of Technology, Office of the CTO at Imperva. Hi, Peter. Hi, Heather. It's great to be back on the show. Yes. And as Peter mentioned, he's been on Makers previously, and which I guess makes him the returning champion and yes. <laughs> for this conversation. <laughs> yes. And we'll link to that conversation in, in the notes for this episode. A bit of background on today's topic. According to Imperva's latest bad bot report, 47% of all internet traffic in 2022 was automated traffic, meaning it was bots, an increase of just over 5% from 2021. Of that automated traffic, 30% were what we consider bad bots, a nearly 3% increase from 2021. Just over half of the bad bots tracked by the report were defined by the researchers as advanced. So sleep well tonight. Those stats definitely make the subject of today's conversation more urgent, and we'll also link to the Imperva report in the episode notes. Before we get started, I just want to thank Imperva for sponsoring today's conversation, and let's get to it. So, Peter, first thing first, how would you define a business logic attack? Yeah, it's a, a great question. So I think we'll just even take a, a one step further back. We'll just kind of talk about what is business logic or what we consider to be business logic in an application. And it's pretty much just the rules and processes that govern how the application functions and basically how users interact with it and other systems. And really, at the end of the day, it's kind of the core. It's everything that your developers build on top of the core frameworks and libraries that they use to compose those applications. And so a business logic attack or business logic abuse is basically just the manipulation of that functionality to perform some form of unintended consequence. And the most basic examples that I can kind of give here that everyone will probably be familiar with is going to be things like credential stuffing attacks, where you're basically trying lots of different user identities to be able to log in. It could be things like carding, where you're basically taking credit cards that have been stolen and you're checking to see if those cards are available and if they work. And it can even include some of the more newer and emerging use cases that we're seeing, like influence fraud, mm -hmm. uh, gaming algorithms in order to basically go and try to manipulate platforms and manipulate the users on the platform. And so it's really this kind of all-encompassing portion of attacks. And I think what's particularly, what's interesting for it and why this is really a challenge for a lot of security teams in particular is that unlike more traditional web application attacks and vulnerabilities, you don't have a CVE associated with it. There's not advisories or blog posts or things that really kind of draw attention to it. Everything mm -hmm. tends to be very business specific. Uh, and that's ultimately what's part of what makes it so hard to be able to go and track this down. I would also imagine if it's business specific, it's there's a danger in terms of customers trusting you. You know, if you say if you say we've had this attack on the data that you've given us. So so I would imagine that that presents a challenge as well. Yeah, and I think the 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 problem that ultimately comes down to is that 
you have to really understand kind of what are the functionalities in the application that are going to be susceptible to this, but you have to have a good understanding of what are the use cases that are really going to apply there. And I, I think probably the best resource on the topic comes from the bot and automated threat world. So the Open Web Application Security Project, and for years they've produced a list called the OAT Top 10 or the OAT Top 20, uh, which is the OWASP automated threats. And I think that's a good starting place for people to better understand what are some of the business logic abuses. But I think one of the downsides of this list and one of the things that we've seen over the years is that it really is fairly narrowly focused on automated threats, whereas some of the newer and emerging things that we would classify as business logic abuse doesn't necessarily need to be automated in order to actually be able to exploit that. And things like broken object level authorization vulnerabilities that apply to APIs, those are very classic business logic abuses that are really targeting the authorization systems of an application. Well, speaking of APIs, according to the the BadBot report, 17% of all attacks on APIs came from BadBots abusing business logic. And that's for the year 2022. What, what makes APIs such a juicy target for attacks? Yeah, when we look at kind of the attack landscape for APIs in particular, I like to think of it almost as a Venn diagram. And so in one portion of that Venn diagram, you have traditional application attacks. You have things like SQL injection vulnerabilities, remote code execution, et cetera, things that people are fairly comfortable with talking about and dealing with these days. You have the more emerging threats that are API specific. So this is codified right now in the OWASP API top 10, and the new version actually just came out about two weeks ago. So this is really kind of focusing on some of the more nuanced specific API vulnerabilities like broken object level authorization and uh, things along those lines. But then on top of it, you have the business logic abuse, and that's really that third category. And the reason why we felt this year that we really wanted to draw attention to just how susceptible APIs are to the bot problem and, and conversely through the, the actual business logic abuse is that ultimately they're an attractive target for these attacks because first and foremost, they're machine readable by default. So anyone that's going and trying to exploit these vulnerabilities, they don't have to go through the complications and complexities of, you know, parsing the DOM and having to do all those things and responding and you know, using headless browsers and all the other tactics that traditionally you had to do with web applications. So that's the, the first area what makes this really kind of attractive. The second one is the clients of an API can vary. There's basically lots of different use cases where APIs are used. They're used for powering single-page applications, mobile applications. It could be for third-party developers, which are you know very heavily in the news right now with the, the Reddit APIs and everything. But then also B2B partners. So you've got a, a very wide and diverse audience of who's actually accessing these APIs. Um, and ultimately, by definition, everything accessing an API is effectively a bot because it's an automated program that's consuming it. And then last but not least, we find that APIs themselves tend to be very poorly protected. So uh, a good example here is that when we talk about things like credential stuffing attacks and account takeover, most attackers will start with the most obvious place, which is going to be the website. And a lot of organizations have put in defenses there. But what will happen very quickly is as soon as they find that there's defenses protecting that website, they'll just go and they'll look at what is the mobile application using to authenticate users. And then they'll start targeting that instead. And in the BadBot report for 2022, we found that 35% of all ATO attacks were targeting APIs. And so ultimately, I think that's one of the kind of the misconceptions that a lot of developers have is they'll think that just because this API is designed only for the mobile application or only for the you know single page front end application, that the attackers aren't going to find and leverage and start targeting these APIs. 
You mentioned that a lot of APIs are not well protected. What can be done specifically around APIs or people should be doing around APIs that they're generally not and the way they're they're designed even to to help prevent attacks? Yeah, I think the the one benefit that APIs really have going for them is for a lot of organizations, they leverage API gateways to mediate traffic and to mediate requests. And a fairly basic functionality of an API gateway is that they oftentimes will have support for quotas. They also have usually user context because in instances where your API developers are using an integration to an identity provider, this really solves two purposes. First of all, it allows you to tie those quotas to specific users so you can kind of help to mitigate some of these issues. But similarly, it's also going to minimize the impact of other types of vulnerabilities like you might have broken authentication related vulnerabilities. Those are instances where API gateways are are very well suited for it. Uh, Above and beyond that, though, ultimately, you have to start looking to external systems to start going and manage these attacks. And I think in particular, what's important here is you're not just looking at individual requests. You're looking at how is a user or a consumer of the API accessing and leveraging that API over longer periods of time. And you you have to really kind of shift your focus from it just being something that of we're going to write a signature and it's going to block this one thing from happening when we see it come up to something that really is something that we're monitoring for proactively and over time. Are there additional best practices you would advise organizations do, developers in particular, to help prevent business logic attacks, whether on an API or through an API or some other way? Yeah, I think the first and most important thing is really going through a threat modeling exercise. Um, threat modeling has always kind of been the the dark art of application security programs. It's you know been recommended by the Microsoft SDL for the last 20 years now, but I think very few organizations do it. But this is really a good opportunity for you to be able to start with, to be able to understand what your potential risk actually looks like. And with APIs in particular, because they're fairly easy to inventory, whether it's something that the developers wrote a specification for it, or whether it's something that you've discovered uh, using your production traffic, those APIs will have different endpoints that are going to be fairly predictable. And it's pretty obvious to see exactly which types of attacks will align from that. So if you have an API endpoint that accepts credit card information, great opportunity for an attacker to try to go and exploit it for a carding check. Um, Same thing with the authentication APIs. Uh, If you're returning pricing information, guess what? A scraper is probably going to hit that. So I think understanding first and foremost, what are the different specific attack scenarios that you're going to be looking to deal with? That's really the first part of it. The the next part is then really going in and identifying what the potential mitigation strategies are. I think in particular for each of these vulnerabilities, it's not as simple as just being able to go and block the request for a lot of security practitioners, they'll think exactly that. They want to just block things right away. But by tying into a deeper system and thinking about it as, you know, do we increase the quotas? Do we increase the fraud risk associated with this user? Is a CAPTCHA appropriate here? Deception is, I think, a really good strategy. We've seen instances where you have price scrapers, and instead of blocking price scrapers, you just return data that's 10% more expensive uh, or 20%, whatever you want to do. So lots of really creative ways to deal with it. Tar pitting is another really cool way to do it where you're just consuming resources and basically you're making your application intentionally slow for people trying to abuse it. Uh, So there's all sorts of really creative ways that uh, organizations can deal with these types of problems. 
we've seen some evidence of pushback from developers about taking shift left responsibility for security. What is your response to a developer who feels they already have enough to deal with without being under pressure to, you know, secure secure their app, make sure their applications are built securely, make sure an API they're hoping to build is secure? Why should they worry about this? Can, can I just first say how much I love this question? <laughs> <laughs> I I think we have definitely hit the limit of what shift left can do. And I think for the most part, we're we're already there. Like, you know, everyone's saying we need to shift left. No, we've already shifted left. We've already, you know, implemented all the source composition analysis and SAST and DAS tools and things like that to really go and mitigate these vulnerabilities that, you know, can show up in code. But I think what is important here and what security teams need to realize is that this is not a shift left problem. This is not a code vulnerability that you're going to find with these tools. This is something that is an operational problem. It's something that ultimately is going to be how your users are actually using your applications in production. And ultimately, this I, I don't want to fully absolve the developers because they're certainly a big part of being able to solve this problem, but the onus is not on developers. It's not going to be for developers to go and apply a code change. They really need to help to coordinate that cross-functional response from not just the development team or the security team, but also pulling in your security and trust teams that you have. Ultimately, fraud teams in certain you know financial services organizations or retail organizations, it's really a cross-functional problem. And I think that's part of the reason why we've been trying to focus on business logic abuse as kind of the overarching theme of these. So it doesn't get siloed into different apartments in the organization, which is historically what's happened. So so it's so it's really more of an observability operations issue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Are there certain industries that are more vulnerable to business logic attacks according according to Imperva data or just what you've seen from from yep. customers? Yeah, so it's, you know, they're they're definitely industry specific attacks and I think certain industries are more susceptible to certain attack types than others are. So we see this in particular where, you know, there's very obvious use cases like retail and travel are going to be some of the most targeted industries for scraping. And there's very clear, you know, monetary financial benefits for them to be able to do that. However, for retail and travel, we find that they're actually, retail in particular, is only about 1.7% of all ATO attacks. So they're not very heavily targeted by ATO attacks because it's a little bit harder to monetize a retail account. Now, the flip side of that is you might have a financial services organization and financial services doesn't have to deal with the scraping problem. They don't have to deal with that. But at the other end of it, they're the most susceptible to account takeover attacks with 37.8% of attacks. They're followed by telecoms and ISPs who are targeted about 17.2%. And the, the telcos, I think in particular, especially the mobile telcos, the impact is very clear in that a lot of times this forms the basis of SIM swapping scams where they can swap out the the SIM address to a different phone and that allows them to bypass uh, SMS-based two-factor authentication and effectively starting off that whole entire chain of compromising user accounts. How does Imperva prevent or mitigate business logic attacks? So I think the the first and foremost is want to say that business logic abuse is not really a one-size-fits-all problem. And so you do need to find the right tool for the job and specifically for the different attack scenarios. So we we personally believe in taking a defense in-depth approach that combines protection against traditional web application vulnerabilities and known attack patterns. This is you know, most commonly through web application firewalls. 
but then expanding that to protect against some API-specific vulnerabilities, things through our advanced API security, which at the end of the day, we're focused on discovering APIs, but also protecting against broken object level authorization vulnerabilities, which is kind of that one vulnerability that hits the sweet spot of in the smack dab middle of that Venn diagram. And then last but not least, it's tools that are really designed to be able to identify and protect against automated threats. So specifically looking at credential stuffing attacks through account takeover protection and bot-related attacks through advanced bot protection. Now, some of these things are going to be good solutions to be able to mitigate these problems. But the flip side of it is there will be some problems that you're probably going to have to rely on outside fraud systems for. And so the other aspect of this is then we believe that these tools can be used not just as a mitigation point, but also an enrichment point where you're able to get signals of different types of data, feed that into other systems, let those other systems make a decision, whether it's to increase the fraud risk on certain user accounts or various things like that. And then we can still be the enforcement point for mitigating some of the threats. One more thing about maybe like a word about open source. A lot of companies use open source as software. Most, almost all companies use open source software as some part of yeah. what they do. Is there any cautions that you would give people about open source software as a potential vulnerability in terms of protecting business logic? you're building on top of that software. Yeah, I mean, open source in particular, um, and even commercial off-the-shelf software, especially commercial off-the-shelf software that's exposed out to the internet. Um, I think we're, this is one area in particular that is going to be really interesting to watch for the various vulnerabilities that kick up. I mean, you know, just this past week or past last week, we had the, the Move It vulnerabilities that were targeting all of those sites. And I think we're we're really kind of in a new watershed moment for some of these attack vectors coming into play. And so having a good supply chain protection strategy in place is really going to be fundamental. And supply chain related vulnerabilities, certainly there is a shift left aspect to those. But at the same time, I think when you start dealing with zero days that are really kind of building on top of that, that's where it gets a little bit more complex. You do need to have some sort of protection mechanisms in place. And certainly we're seeing this on the JavaScript supply chain side where the PCI DSS is now recognizing the need for client-side protection technologies in place. And in those instances too, you know, those are looking at stealing credit card information through front-end JavaScript libraries. So again, it's not really something that you're developers are needing to fix in the sense of it's a, you know, something broken in their code, but it's oftentimes going to be a malicious dependency that was pulled in. If someone is looking to get more information about protecting their business logic, where would you advise they start? Yeah. So of course, Imperva.com is a a great resource for people to go to. Uh, We've got lots of webinars and discussions talking about these things. But then on top of that, I I do recommend as well that everyone go and check out the Open Web Application Security Project. It's uh, OWASP.org. They will very much focus on, you know, some of the the broader attack categories, and they're a really good roadmap for looking at it. In particular, I strongly recommend the OWASP automated threat list, and that's basically going to be the list of about 20 different, what I would consider to be business logic abuse uh, types of attacks and how to basically detect them, how to think about them. And in particular, I think when you're performing a threat modeling exercise and you're looking at all of these different services, then that's a really good guide for you to basically use as a checklist to check against it. Okay. And we'll link to that as well in the article that accompanies this podcast. I think that's it for today. I'd like to thank Peter Klemek of Imperva for joining us today. Thank you, Peter. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
Yeah. And I'd like to thank Imperva for sponsoring this episode. And I'd like to thank all of you for listening today. This has been Heather Joslin for the New Stack. We'll see you next time. Imperva helps organizations protect critical applications, APIs, and data anywhere at scale and with the highest ROI. With an integrated approach combining edge, application security, and data security, Imperva protects companies through all stages of their digital journey. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's one of the best ways you can help us grow this community, and we really appreciate your feedback. You can find the full video version of this episode on YouTube. Search for The New Stack, and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss any new videos. Thanks for joining us, and see you soon. Thank you.